Hey everybody, hope you're doing well. Hopefully you're staying dry and you don't have uh, too much damage from the flooding that's been going on across the state. I know we've uh, been lucky, been been grateful for that. Uh, Jeff may have lost a trail camera in the flood, we're not sure yet. And it looks like his the overflow pipe on his pond may have sprung a leak from the, the extra water. But uh, aside from that, no major damage so thankful for that hopefully you guys are are not underwater don't have you know major damage to your homes or anything hopefully you're staying dry this week we talked to ted gudor from the gudorf law group which is in dayton and we talk about estate planning and so you might be asking yourself why are we talking about estate planning on a hunting podcast well i wanted to talk to ted because we all sort of dream of buying a hunting property someday and you might go in with a couple buddies or your brothers or say your family already owns hunting property and it's getting to be the point where you need to pass that piece of property down. So how do we handle that? What's sort of best practices for buying a piece of property as like a partnership agreement? Like two or three of your buddies are going to go in together and we're all going to chip in and we're going to buy this piece of property. How do you set that up to make sure everybody's protected? Found out from Ted that if you don't do this right, your personal assets, like if somebody else that's an owner of this property does something, you know, gets in a really bad accident and gets sued or something, that your assets could be at risk if you don't set something like this up. So, or you don't set this up properly. So really important stuff in here. Ted shares a ton of good information. Really enjoyed this conversation. And hopefully you guys get something out of it. And it hopefully will protect you in the case that you are thinking about buying a piece of property. Or give you some ideas on if you already own a piece of property. And you're looking to pass it down to your kids. Or, you know, you're the the siblings or the heirs to a piece of property that you're father or your family or somebody already owns so hopefully you find this enjoyable before we get to that before we get to the call with ted i want to talk about monster whitetail grub real quick so they are the sponsor of this podcast and they sell a couple different products they got mineral they have a high protein feed which actually has mineral mixed in and they have flavored corn so lots of deer feed and and nutrition options for you right now is a great time to be running mineral to get pictures of your bucks and watch antler growth we've been having a lot of success with with the monster whitetail grub mineral right now deer you know to dig holes to get to it that to, to get to the mineral that's uh, leached into the dirt so they really enjoy it and uh we really appreciate them sponsoring this show so if you're interested there'll be a link to their stuff in the show notes and reach out to them and get yourself some mineral and watch the antler growth so with that, let's start the show. Welcome to the Ohio Huntsman Podcast, where three brothers, Jason, Jacob, and Jeff, discuss all things hunting in Ohio. Our goal is to be your source for accurate and reliable hunting news and conservation issues in the great state of Ohio, as well as some fun and interesting conversations along the way. This is the Ohio Huntsman Podcast. Are you listening? All right, we've got Ted Gudorf on the line, and 
Ted and I have been talking a little bit back and forth, and we thought it would be an interesting conversation, hopefully a helpful conversation, to talk about estate planning, which might not make a ton of sense at first, but a lot of us have hunting properties, recreational properties, and passing those down to the next generation or how to handle a multiple ownership agreement, things like that. We're hoping that Ted can sort of shed some light on that and help us out. So Ted, I want to start off by thanking you for taking time out of your schedule to talk to us today. And uh, what's the name of your your law firm if people want to reach out to you and, and work with you on this kind of stuff? Well, first, Jason, I want to thank you for allowing me to appear with you today and have a conversation about something that I really, really enjoy doing. Uh, my law firm is Goodorf Law Group, LLC. We are based in Dayton, Ohio. We have three offices here. Um, we have offices in Clayton, Centerville, and Troy, Ohio. Uh, we have five attorneys in our office, five paralegals, and we have uh, an identical number of administrative staff who help us uh, on our team to get things done for our clients. Uh, I've been in practice for over 32 years. Uh, At this point in time of my career, I probably have more than, oh, I would guess 5,000 clients who have come through my doors. Yeah. Uh, I'm fortunate in that I have, uh, this is all I do, and it's all I've done for 25 of my 32 years. 25 years ago, I decided that I wanted to have a boutique firm that focused on estate planning And so I created that firm and grew it uh, to what it is today. Today, we focus on estate planning, tax advisory and services, and elder care. Uh, Those are main things that we do, and that's all we do. So it sounds like you're the perfect guy to help us with this uh, this topic. So that's, that's awesome. Well, so, I would say this, I'm more than happy to share uh, what my experience has been and what my recommendations are. Okay, great. Thank you. So I think first place to start, if guys, like, let's say a couple guys want to go together, a couple buddies, a couple brothers, if they want to go together and buy a recreational property, what's the what are some best practices or things that people should be taking into consideration when doing that or setting that up? There's an awful lot of considerations to take into account whenever you become a partner with another human being on anything that you endeavor to do, whether that be uh, going off and getting married or buying a piece of property with someone. Um, So what, what, you generally have to do and what lawyers are good at doing is we're good at telling you uh, what can all go wrong. And the bottom line (laughs) is, is that you got to be able to handle what could go wrong. And if you can handle what can go wrong, then everything else is pretty well a piece of cake. Okay. So uh, at the end of the day, if you're going to do anything with another person, the question you have to ask is, What happens is something bad happens. So what are the bad things that we could all think of that can happen to two people? Well, needless to say, uh, one of you could die. Uh, The only thing probably uh, that 
you know, yeah, that everybody understands is that none of us are going to make it out of here alive. Right. I think we all agree to that. Yep. But other things can happen too. You may become mentally disabled. You may become physically disabled. You may get married. You may get divorced. You may get sued. You may go bankrupt. You may end up yourself in a nursing home. All kinds of things like that have to be taken into account. Okay. And how do people go about doing that? Do you, do you set up some sort of an ownership agreement that sort of lists all these things out that you can think of? or? Well, it would be nice if you could just set up an agreement, a simple agreement, and have them address all of these things. But unfortunately, it is not that easy. Um, I was recently hired this past week because I have 12 family members who own 850 acres as a part of a limited partnership. And lo and behold, the family members no longer get along. <laughs> surprise, so, surprise. <laughs> they, haven't, they haven't died. They haven't gotten divorced. They haven't gotten sued. They haven't gone bankrupt. They're not in a nursing home. They just don't get along anymore. Right. They don't love each other anymore. And now they want me to eliminate the limited partnership and allow each other to go their merry way. And so uh, I devised a process that will take about six months, if we're lucky, if everybody agrees and nobody files a lawsuit, take about six months to unwind this limited partnership and put everybody back into the position they were in prior to the partnership being formed. Okay. So I would like to tell you that a particular structure, they have a structure, theirs is a limited partnership. Uh, they have a uh, partnership agreement and it identifies certain rights or obligations. Uh, and yet here they are, they don't get along and they want to dissolve the partnership. Now, I will tell you this, that despite them having a structure and despite them having an agreement, uh, somebody probably told the lawyer involved at the time, well, we just want something simple and we're probably going to love each other forever. So there are no real provisions within the document itself that deal with how do we dissolve the partnership. Okay. So it sounds like if, you know, if you do want to put something or try attempt to put something simple in place of we're 50, 50 owners, you should definitely be including something in there on when things go south, regardless of what happens, if one of us or both of us wants out of this, how does that happen and what does that look like? You better believe it. And, okay. and you should, the, the best advice that I can give you or the first advice that I can give anybody is to make sure that you really want to be a partner with another human being. Um, I, I once had a, 
I once had a professor tell me, Ted, there's no good reason to ever want to be a partner with anybody on anything. (laughs) (laughs) And I think while that is generally true, uh, there are reasons why we need each other. You know, some of us come to the table with a, a tremendous intellect, but no financial resources, while others of us may come to the table with financial resources maybe some intellect, but don't have any real skill set other than that. So the reality is in life, uh, we do need each other. We do need to form these partnerships. So then it really becomes, it comes down to what does this partnership look like? Now, in the old days, whenever people got together and shook hands, um, they would have a verbal oral partnership. That's still valid. A lot of people think that if you create a oral partnership, that that's not a valid agreement. It is. Okay. And now, now, so the so I would tell you first of all what not to do. What not to do is don't have a handshake oral partnership. Okay. Because then everybody, if if there's a problem then everybody gets to make up the terms as they go, (laughs) so to speak. Yeah, yeah. So the second thing you could do is form in writing what is called a general partnership. What that means is, Jason, if you and I are general partners, it means I'm responsible for everything that you do, and you're responsible for everything that I do. Okay. So let's say you and I form a partnership and – We put in $100,000 each. We buy a piece of property. And you're driving down the road going a little bit too fast, and you hit a school bus. And you, let's make it really bad. Let's say you injure permanently three children and kill three other children. Oh, man, Ted, you're making me sad. Yep, we're going to make it really bad. And let's (laughs) see all six families hire a TV lawyer, and they sue you. This is, well, this is because, getting worse. Because you and I are general partners and we own this property together, the TV lawyers, once they take all of your insurance, they get to take the entire property. Okay. So a general partnership, I see a lot of them out here, particularly in our rural communities, our agricultural communities. I don't see many oral partnerships. I normally see a general partnership. But the reality is, is that the land is totally exposed to all the bad things that could happen to either one of the general partners. So we never, ever want to have a general partnership, ever. Okay, okay. So once we get beyond that, we begin to understand that we want to look at a little more advanced Uh, planning, and the advanced planning will lead us into a limited liability company more often than not. And that limited liability company, it says limited liability for a reason. So now all of a sudden, if we create a limited liability company and you're a member and I'm a member and you go out and hit the school bus and you get sued and get a judgment against you, they can no longer take the property. Okay. 
So we want to have these entities, whether it be a limited liability company or I suppose it could be a limited partnership arrangement, but we want to create the type of entity first and foremost where I'm not responsible for your uh, uh, negligent acts. You're not responsible for mine. Most importantly, if either one of us gets sued, they can't take away the property that you and I have purchased together. That's in the name of the company. Okay. That's good to know. Does that make sense? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank and, you. And furthermore, if we buy property and somebody gets injured on the property due to our negligence, they also then can't sue us and take our home or our money. They can't take my home. They can't take your home. They can't take my money in my checking account. They can't take money in your brokerage account okay. if they get hurt on the property. Okay, now, that's, that's another helpful uh, piece to that for sure. Well, it is because under under most states' law, including Ohio, if you own property and you invite people to come onto your property, if you invite them to come onto your property, you have a duty to them to make the premises safe. And let's say, you know, I, I would tell you an example. I had an uncle 20 years ago who went onto a farmer's property, the farmer invited him to come on. He took his snowmobile, drove it across his field. The farmer did not tell him in the middle of the field was a small, what I would call a crick or a ditch, fairly large ditch. And when the snowmobile went over it, it stuck on the other side and my uncle was almost killed in it. Wow. Uh, it might be something like that where, you know, we tell people they got our permission to snowmobile or to hunt or uh, whatever, and something bad happens. Well, if we've invited them onto our premises or we have passively given them permission to be on our premises, then we're going to be responsible if it can be demonstrated that we did not make the premises safe for them. And um, sometimes that can be very gray. And when it's gray, it usually ends up with a lawsuit. And you end up in front potentially of a jury. So at a minimum, we want to limit our exposure to the value of the land that's in the entity itself. And we do that by creating one of these entities called a limited liability company or a limited partnership, because at least then our home and our money that you have and that I have is going to be totally protected. While we might lose the property, we're not going to lose everything else. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Hey, I want to pause here for a second and ask you all a favor. If you're enjoying this conversation, you find it educational or entertaining, go to the show notes real quick, click the link that says Shop Ohio Huntsman Apparel, and check out some of our stuff. If you see something you like, buy it. We make a couple bucks from Amazon on the sale, and you get a sweet shirt out of it. So 
do me a favor and, and check out some Ohio Huntsman apparel. And now, back to the show. So let's say we've got a limited liability partnership and we're in this agreement and uh, what happens, I guess let's talk about then, you've included some stipulations on how people get out. How do you then decide the value of that property, right? Because somebody says, one of the two partners says, you know, I I need the money out of this property. How do you decide the value for that property for the the partner that wants out? So, as you might expect, when you have a written partnership agreement, the partnership agreement itself, first of all, should identify what transfer restrictions are there going to be, if any. So if you and I become partners and you file bankruptcy, if you uh, become mentally disabled, what happens to your partnership interest? In many of these agreements, you become a non-voting member upon disability or bankruptcy, uh, which is something we have to contemplate. Sometimes these agreements restrict who you can transfer your interest to upon death. For instance, it's not uncommon for you and I to agree that you can only transfer it to your descendants. You cannot transfer it to any third parties, including your spouse. Uh, Oftentimes, individuals will allow the transfer to occur to their descendants, i.e. their children and grandchildren, but but none of the spouses and no third parties. Or oftentimes, we'll put in a provision that says, the other party has an absolute option to purchase upon bankruptcy or upon disability or upon death. The other party has the absolute right to purchase the other partner's interest, typically within 60 days or six months of the trigger event occurring. And it will say either at fair market value as determined by one appraisal, two appraisals, three appraisals, or it will say the option to purchase it at fair market value minus a 10% discount or a 20% discount, or it might say an option to purchase the property at $2,000 per acre. The two of us, you and I, instead of requiring an appraisal to occur, you and I can just agree on what that price is going to be. Okay. And we have to talk about that. And normally, uh, lately, I've been using uh, some language in my contracts that say, look, uh, the parties are going to state the price at which the other can purchase it at, but if that price 
has not been restated or reaffirmed within three years of the triggering event, then an appraisal will occur. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, because I was going to ask what happens when, say, two men, two guys make a deal and then it goes down to their children and one of those children now want out, but obviously the value of land is significantly different. Yeah. And again, they, they would have to agree upon the stated price or if they don't agree, then it would, uh, after what we said was typically we don't go longer than three years. Sometimes it's just two years. Sometimes it's one year. It'll trigger a, an appraisal. Okay. Now, appraisals do cost money. Uh, I, I recently have had a case where they created a limited liability company uh, 20 some years ago. It owns eight rental properties. Those rental properties have increased in value rather significantly. My client, who was one of the family members, becomes disabled, ends up in a nursing home, and wants out. And wants his 25% interest in the company to be paid to him. Uh, the first uh, letter that came from the managing partner was, we had this appraised 17 years ago for $200,000, so we're going to offer you $200,000. Okay. This disabled person's wife calls me up and says, do you think this is fair? And I said, well, it depends what the agreement says. Interestingly, in that instance, the agreement was silent. Said absolutely nothing about what occurred if somebody ever wanted out. Uh, in this instance, I asked the managing partner to hire an appraisal. And he said, that will cost $5,000. We're not going to do it. You're welcome to pay for it yourself. My client decided to pay $5,000 to have an appraisal. The appraisal came back. The value of my client's interest was $500,000. $300,000 more than what was offered. That's uh, $5,000 well spent then. <laughs> Extremely well spent. Now, yeah. here's, the, here's the issue. In that case, we were a limited partner with no voting rights. So we wrote a letter back and said, we want $500,000. They said, we declined to buy it from you. There are no provisions within the partnership agreement that require them to purchase it. Oh, okay. So absent there being some mandatory obligation for someone else to buy, sure, in theory, because there are no provisions, in theory, we could sell our interest to a third party, but what third party would ever want to buy something and be partners with somebody where they have no voting rights. Right, yeah. So the reality was uh, uh, I uh, decided to throw myself on the mercy of the managing partner and said, this is your brother. Why are you treating him so unfairly? Why are you taking advantage of him? 
He is disabled. He's in a nursing home. His wife needs your help. Uh, you know what that got me? No. That got me an extra $75,000. Boy, tough crowd. <laughs> and what people listening have to understand, whether you're dealing with family members or other third parties or best friends or their next of kin, you should anticipate that it's going to be a tough crowd. Right, okay. Bottom line is that lawyers like me are able to craft agreements that require certain things to occur, but you got to put them in the agreement. They got to be in writing and they got to be there ahead of time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So my, go ahead, Jason. I was just going to say, I think that's just good general advice with this. If, if anybody gets anything out of this episode, uh, hopefully it's that or some some form of that because as much as everybody wants to think that we're great buddies or or we're even brothers or whatever you know life happens things unexpected things happen and things change you need money the relationship falls apart and you really need to have these provisions in place beforehand so that you know how to handle them when these things arise, because they're going to arise. So, right. So my next question now is hypothetical scenario, I guess. Say two guys, three guys, four guys, whatever, doesn't matter the number, have a handshake agreement or a very loose partnership that they've developed. That worked. Now it's time to pass it on to the children or the next of kin, that was the verbal agreement or the loose agreement, um, but only half of the next of kin are interested. The remainder are just not present. They just don't have any say. They're not active. They don't participate. They're not interested in the outdoors. It's not in writing what happens. What's the next step? So there's some sort of an agreement, nothing really legal that you know, it's more like a handshake deal, but now the next of kin are getting involved in participating. Is there any way to correct what was done wrong initially, or is like how does that get? That's... So what you're gonna, yeah, what you're going to learn is uh, a couple things. So the first thing is to understand the structure that you're dealing with. So. If, it, if there is a structure that is an entity, whether it be a limited partnership, whether it be a corporation or a limited liability company, um, under those circumstances, whoever has the controlling interest has the ability to agree to adopt any kind of agreement. So, as long as all of the parties who have an interest are willing to come to the table and agree to a new partnership agreement, then that can be done. Um, and that's the recommended course of action is for everybody to come together and 
do what should have been done in the first place. Now, having said that, if we're in a circumstance where it's fairly loosely organized and things have passed along to the next generation and we're just having a general partnership of the next generation, uh, then those general partners will have to determine who the general partner is going to be. And let's say we have four individuals. They can choose to elect one of them as a general partner, two of them as a general partner, three of them as a general partner, or all four end up being general partner. And therefore, in order to do anything, it requires a majority vote of three out of the four general partners to do anything. Meaning one of the original partners is passing it down to their four next of kin is that what you mean by the who they they need to decide who the general partners are going to be uh so let's let's uh make sure we have the same set of facts here okay so if you start off with four general partners and let's say and what my example was all four die okay. and and their general partnership interest, I'm going to suggest, goes to their next of kin, not their spouse, but their next of kin. And let's say, to make it simple, all four each have one child. Those four children then have to elect a general partner. And that can be one, two, or all four of them. But all decisions will then be made by a majority of the general partners. Okay. So three out of four of them, in order to sell the property or in order to lease the property, in order to plant on the property, it will require a majority vote of the partnership interest to conduct any business, whether it's to sell it or to lease it or to do anything. Okay. And, and oftentimes what happens is say three out of four are in agreement and the fourth one is not, the fourth one wants out, the other three won't pay him a dime. So what they do is they hire a lawyer who goes to court and says, I want to partition the property and have it sold. So he'll file a lawsuit at court asking for the property to be appraised and ordered sold at a sheriff's sale. That's called a partition action. Oh, okay. And so property that's in a general partnership or owned by multiple individuals, the downside to that is that if it ever passes to an heir and they want out and nobody's willing or has the money to buy them out, they can always go to court and force a sale. Okay. And then everybody's got a lawyer up and you spend all this money on lawyers and typically what ends up happening is you end up negotiating to buy somebody out. Um, but the, the threat of a partition action or the filing of a partition action is the real threat that one person has to try to force the majority to do what they want them to do. Okay. Things get ugly quick. So uh, a lot of times, if there is no formal written partnership agreement, and let's say we have four partners and one of them dies, 
oftentimes that is going to go to that person's spouse pursuant to their will or pursuant to intestacy or pursuant to their trust. So now you got three guys who are now partners with their fourth partner's wife. Okay. And as a general rule, we don't really want to be partners with our partner spouses. <laughs> yeah. And that's what will happen when we have these loosely formed general partners and one of us dies. We okay. end up being partners with somebody's spouse. Good luck with that. Right. Yeah. There's a, like you said at the beginning, there's just there's so much to think about and take into consideration when you're when you're doing something like this. You know, there's just there's just a lot, which is why you know law firms like your yours is super helpful with this kind of stuff because you know it's easy to get way in over your head and you guys make sense of this. This is you know that's your that's your job, that's your passion, that's your bread and butter. And so what I'm getting out of this is I'm encouraging people after this conversation to not get into any kind of a general partnership. And if you're, you know, if, if you don't have the means to buy a property by yourself and you're going to do it with a partner, whether that's a, a, a sibling or a buddy, you need to have this all written up by a lawyer beforehand and get it all ironed out because in all of these situations, things get ugly quick. So well, they really do. And, and, you know, um, I recently had a situation where, uh, some folks came to me and again, there were, there were four, this happened to be four brothers involved in it. And what they made the decision was, was if one of us dies, they're going to be able to pass along to their children, not their spouses, but to their children, their one-fourth interest. Having said that, as long as one of the brothers is alive, the membership interest that passes to the children are non-voting. Oh, okay. So as long as one of the original four is alive, the original members, even as long as there's one of them alive, the original members have total control and have all voting rights. While the children can inherit, they're not given any voting rights. So sometimes it's just the four saying, we're here now, as long as one of us is around, we're gonna make sure that one of the four of us is in control. Um, okay. I had, I had another circumstance evolve, which was really unusual. I'd never had anybody ask me this, but I had a group of, uh, of brothers, believe it or not, who had bought farm equipment together and had bought some farms together, despite what they owned individually. They owned a portion of this together. And two of the four were not married and had no children. Uh, I had to laugh at them because what they told me they wanted to do is they wanted, as each one of them died, they wanted to pass it to the other, not to their descendants, not to their spouse, but pass it to each other. And then the last of the four that was left standing could decide according to their will, who to give it to at the time they died. Oh boy. That sure gives some incentive to be the, in the best health, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I told 
yeah. And you know, I mean, it was I I I you know, and sometimes uh, when we have these meetings, this meeting was uh, it was I had the I have to laugh about it because uh, they invited me to come out to the farm. So we're sitting in the farmhouse around a kitchen table. Uh, and of course they were all having some cold beverages at the time. And they thought that this was, uh, a, a great thing to have a conversation in the farmhouse with some cold beverages. And they talked this whole thing through. And I will tell you this, uh, it, I mean, the value of this was over a million dollars. I mean, it wasn't a small thing, Oh wow! but, but the point is the single most important conversation is that clients have to articulate what are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish? What do you really want to have happen? It is important that these plans not be the lawyer's plan. Um, and off too often, that's what I see. I see the boilerplate language written by somebody who doesn't do this on a regular basis. They're a general practice lawyer and they just do what they did the last 50 times and they do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again because they don't know any different. What's really important is for folks to work with somebody who is counseling oriented, who will prod and poke and understand what are the real goals that we're trying to accomplish okay. and, and counsel them through what happens if you become bankrupt? What happens if we get sued? What happens if you get divorced? What happens if one of us dies, two of you die, all of you die? You got you to gotta walk through all the scenarios. And yeah. the reality is, is that you can achieve your goals for the most part. Uh, and get everybody reasonably protected. Um, and then on top of that, you know, you can't ever forget, and people do way too often forget, you, whatever property you got, you got to insure the risk. You got to make sure you have insurance coverage to protect you. Okay. So one thing I want to touch on is your your firm specifically. Now, do you guys just work with clients in the area or if there's people throughout Ohio that hear this and like what they hear and want to work with you guys, do you ever do counseling or, or estate planning like over the phone or anything like that? Or are you, are you more local to the Dayton area? So, uh, what's interesting is, uh, we are licensed in four States. So okay. we do work in Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, and Wyoming. Um, and, and uh, we are affiliated with national organizations that have lawyers in every, all 50 states, and frankly, even internationally. Um, so uh, our bread and butter is probably within 75 miles of Dayton, Ohio, into Indiana and Kentucky okay. uh, uh, is probably our bread and butter. But we go as far, the other day I was in Portsmouth, Ohio, if you know where that's at. Um, I am originally from the uh, Minster, Auglaise County area. I have a couple hundred clients up in Putnam County, uh, Ottawa County, 
up in Van Wert County, Mercer County, up in the rural area as well, okay. uh, going all the way over. I have a I have a real strong following in Batesville, Indiana. Um, in that's Ripley County, Franklin County over there. So yeah, we and and what what is happening? You know, it's kind of like you and I today are doing this on Skype. Uh, we do a lot of Skype conferencing, or we do a lot of Zoom conferencing. Oh, okay. And Zoom has uh, turned out for us here at the firm to be the easiest way to connect with people all over the place. And uh, we, we kind of like that. So, uh, it, you know, in today's modern world, it makes it very easy for us to counsel with people all over the place. Sure, sure. Well, that's good to know. I'm going to put a link to your to your website in the show notes so that people can can find you guys easily if they want to reach out to you and, and yeah. work with you. Yeah, our website is DaytonEstatePlanningLaw.com. And one of the things that people may be interested in, I like to write a lot. So I have a blog on the website and I publish about four times a month uh, on a on an estate planning uh, topic. Um, and that's actually that's actually how I found you guys. I was started Googling, you know, estate planning and all because I, I wanted to do an episode about this and your blog is is what actually popped up and that's how I found you guys and, and got connected with you. So well that's great. There's a lot of good information there. I've been I've been blogging for about 15 years and you know at the end of the day you do three or, or four of those a month sooner or later it adds up to quite a quite a bit of information that yeah. is free to the public uh, to use as they see fit. Awesome. Well if there's nothing else uh Ted, thank you. This has been uh, an awesome conversation. I know I learned a lot. I'm sure the listeners are going to get a lot out of this, and hopefully you get some uh, some phone calls out of this, and you can help some people with their estate planning needs. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to talk. This is an area of the law that I absolutely love. I'm very passionate about it. My whole team is. Uh, we're very counseling-oriented folks, and we just want to help people make sure that they protect themselves uh, when they get into these kind of transactions. So, uh, thanks again. Have a great day. Yeah. Thank you. All right. And that's a wrap. I want to thank Ted for taking time to talk to us. Really appreciate him taking time out of his schedule. And like I said, hopefully you guys get something out of this and hopefully it prevents some future headache or future heartache for you down the road because you didn't make a mistake that, uh, could cost you money or cost you a relationship or a relationship with your family. So do this right. Take your time. Make sure you're doing it correctly. And uh, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.